Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Uh, you know, welcome to Recovered Life Discussions. You are in the room, Rewire Your Brain, and we have been in a beautiful study of Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. Um, it is, uh, we, the premise of her book is to study emotions and really, really deep dive into the language around them with the understanding that once we have language, um, they help inform our feelings. They also help us know exactly what to do next. And the whole purpose of this and the reason why it's, it pulls back to the title of Rewiring Your Brain is that I have learned so myself so much about different emotions. And the more words and language we have around it, the easier it is for me to communicate them, for us to communicate them with each other, and the deeper the connection. And I believe she's really hit the mark. Um, it's been a deep dive into, I think it's something like 96 uh, emotions, and there have been ones that we've done. There, the replays are available for every chapter, but it is a discussion, which means even if you don't have the book, um, we want people to come up, you know, right at the beginning, if you feel so inclined and feel comfortable uh, to kind of discuss discuss the words and what those what those phrases or those emotions mean to you. I think there's a lot to be learned and I know for me um, and I, I believe Deanna I'll let you speak for yourself that this has been a real beautiful exercise of understanding human nature and ourselves and um, you uh, just some quick ground rules uh, I, you know, am Christy Dennis, Christina Dennis, and I am a recovery coach who focuses on helping people let go of codependent behaviors, but have been in recovery since 1997. And may, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but Brene Brown is also in recovery, and uh, you can see it throughout her work. Uh, that and and she does even especially in the second half of the chapter that we're going to discuss today has, um, I keep saying disgust because that's one of the emotions that we're going to discuss today is, uh, has got some, you know, real direct connections to recovery. And I, I just love it. Um, Deanna, how, how have you, I mean, this isn't an easy chapter, is it? No, it's not an easy chapter. Um, I, I didn't, one of the things, so do you want me to go, you know, do you want me Let to read? read it? Yes, read it so people know what's in front of them. We're really read. selling it well, aren't we? It's not easy. These are hard things. Why stick okay. around? Go ahead. Uh, so we are on chapter 12. I just needed to find the word, honestly, so it helped me go back the pages. Um, places we go when we feel wronged, and we've already discussed some things, but uh, we've, we've been talking about anger contempt, disgust, 
dehumanization, hate, and self-righteousness. And for me personally, um, I thought hate was like, I'm not, I don't even need to read that one. I don't have hate in my heart. Like, I didn't think I needed to, but it's good. And then self-righteousness, I feel like I need a whole extra chapter on self-righteousness. So I'm excited to hear what other people have to discuss about this stuff. Yes. Yes. Like, like I said, these are the fun ones, but they are really, really important. And, you know, last week we were not able to meet. So just a quick reminder, we did already cover anger and contempt and a little bit on what disgust is. And what I thought we'd do is just kind of pick up where we left off uh, with disgust and kind of move into the other ones. And, and, you know, even though it is not necessarily the feel good, I think it is so healing for us to understand the language behind it. And I just want to encourage people to raise their hand if they'd like to come up and kind of share with us um, uh, what, what it feels like to you. We do only use first names here. This is recorded. It is rebroadcasted. Uh, as a podcast, as well as available for replay. So uh, we ask that you use first names only. I mean, obviously I introduced both my names, so I'm fine with using my last name, but we do try to protect everybody and want them to feel comfortable. And what does all this have to do with recovery, right? Well, you know, it's the feelings and it's the emotions behind that. And so this deep dive it's such a healing tra uh, journey for each one of us. And, you know, I know for myself that in my first couple years of recovery, I heard phrases like feelings aren't facts. Um, but with, but since then, even though that may or may not be true, I've understood that feelings are important and healing is necessary in recovery and it's the feelings that inform my decisions often whether i like it to be or not and so taking the time to understand them has been incredibly important for my recovery and i thought we would pick up with disgust um, and i was going to ask you to reread those questions deanna because uh, you know we've had the break in between uh, that are so interesting, the emotion discussed and kind of the origins of it, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read a couple things here that um, probably invoke some disgust in your, your feelings of disgust. I, I, I can't say that for sure, but for me, most of them do. I might be willing to try eating monkey meat under some circumstances. It bothers me to hear someone clear their throat full of mucus. It does. If I see someone vomit, it makes me sick to my stomach. It would not upset me at all to watch a person with a glass eye take the eye out of the socket. <laughs> Even if I was hungry, I would not drink a bowl of my favorite soup if it had been stirred by a used but thoroughly washed fly swatter. Gross. Yeah, they kind of help you get there, don't they? To what it is and why why do we need to know what the word disgust is it's because um because disgust is the gateway to dehumanization and i think that is so interesting how we use the word disgust and how they study it um 
discusses a fascinating emotion. It's illusion. You know what? I might not be able to read my handwriting or a, puzzle, or a puzzle. It makes sense why we are disgusted by things that contaminate our food, which is what the actual emotion is. And that's where it comes from. But why does this feeling relate to emotion extend itself so deeply into our social world? so that people will feel disgusted by certain ethnic groups, racism, homosexuality, homophobia, or by a variety of social and moral violations that don't involve anything that's physically contaminated. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about the emotion because it comes from a place of physical, you know, like feeling disgusted is something that's supposed to protect us from eating or being around food that will make us sick. But we use the emotion, you know, all the time. And I, and I know that, that a lot of us get into recovery and we are changing, but I think that we live in a world that, you know, sadly is polarized and it's, and it's important to talk about these things. So it sounds weird, but it's real. We use this toward people. And the reason why I wanted to review it a little bit and see what everybody thinks about when you have felt disgusted by a human, what was behind it, you know, when we deem something disgusting, it allows us to push that person away. And it's something that we originally would have felt through physical senses, sight, smell, touch, sound, taste. But by the actions of people, it tends to be, we're disgusted in different states from mild, you know, dislike, avoidance, oh, I'm going to avoid that person because they talk with food in their mouth, all the way to this group of people are, are really bad. And all states are of disgust are triggered by the feeling of repulsion and believing that the person is toxic. And it's just so interesting that what researchers are saying about us, those of us who feel disgusted by something, someone, that it is an interpersonal disgust when it's that way, it's about a human, it's we are trying to protect ourselves from unseemly behavior almost a contamination of the soul. So something that was turned into something that was going to protect our health, we are using and feeling that emotion of disgust in order to try to protect our soul. And so I'd love to hear what everybody who uh, is up here, oh, welcome Haven and Kathy, feel about that word and that emotion. Deanna? Disgust. I, I recently, this, I might be confusing this with anger as I think about this story, but, um, you know, this is part of understanding the language is talking about it. Uh, I think I recently encountered somebody that, um, said they were disgusted. They actually said disgusted that they were disgusted by people that still wear masks. And this is my husband's coworker. And he said, I just want to rip that mask off his face. It's just disgusting that he would follow like a sheep or something like that. And like he, he physically wanted to do something about this emotion he had. And 
my 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 husband dealt with it. He was kind and just said something, but it made me think about how easily people can fall into that disgusting feeling. I I personally don't um I can't think of a, things that really really disgust me because I really really try to understand where people are coming from. Um, so I also, Christina last week had said to think on think times that we have done something disgusting. And I really couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around thinking about that. So I also thought maybe I should ask somebody else in my life if I have acted in a way or showed signs of that emotion and, and reflect on it. Um, but it just, it all, it just really made me think about how easily, how easy we can fall into that feelings of disgust for people. Uh, so I'd love yeah. to, I'd love to hear what other people have to say about it. I'm still learning. Yes. I had to think about this too. And I can tell you for me, it was, um, when I was thinking about groups or, or places where I felt that feeling where I felt wretched and I have to say, um, sexual predators, um, you know, which we'll get into about uh, uh, even using that word predator. See, I've, I've already attached it. People who um, who uh, perform sexual assault, sex trafficking, those kinds of things. Those are real and alive in our in our world. And I have to say that that feeling comes to me when I when I hear stories of people um, who uh, are being uh, prosecuted for those types of behaviors. Kathy. I'm trying to think the last time I felt disgust and it was a long time ago. Actually felt disgust at the behavior. I mean, you know, you can see, you know, on bin day, it's not very nice and things like that, but um, disgust with another human being, but not disgust with them. I felt disgusted. I felt disgust in my body, in my soul. And it was when I'd found out my brother had had an affair um i i was polar and i remember i was walking uh along the river thames with my then girlfriend and i i stopped and i had to go to a bin and i threw up sorry everybody um it it had that visceral emotion on me and i'm 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 still to this day a, a little puzzled why um affairs happen life is complicated yada 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 god knows i've i've been out with married women um so yeah it's it's an odd one um i mean we feel disgusted and it's a useful useful thing because there's uh i think we were talking last week about there's some societal um pressure uh, or societal influence um, on disgust for, for people like predators. Some of it is natural to us. We, we can't bear to see children hurt. We can't bear to see, most of us can't bear to see animals hurt, things like that. Um, but there is some societal collective disgust uh, with some actions. Um, but I think uh, things like lying and bullying uh, are the ones that I would say if, if we were doing a kind of written exercise, I would probably tick those off. But the last time I felt it was, it was discussed at, um, I, I guess, at being lied at, at, at um, feeling let down over the behavior of somebody I'd, I'd held in such high esteem. So um, 
but yeah, I'm I'm still sucking a thoughtful tooth on on my reaction to that one. So, so thank you. Great word. Uh, horrible emotion. Uh oh, my app's being glitchy. Deanna, you may have to jump in if it take a few seconds. Haven, uh, welcome to the the speaking stage. Tell us what you think. Well, thank you for the uh, the topic. My instinct was along Deanna's at first. I've got children in the background. So if you hear them, they are being active like Deanna's cat. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't think I really had discussed. You know, like I go straight towards um, like sadness or dislike, and but with understanding. Um, but what hasn't been mentioned yet, and was my first instinct, really the only thing that I could really attach myself to at the beginning. Again, if it were a written exercise, my first sentences would be self-disgust, like uh, looking at my thighs touching and being just um, grossed out by it. You know, or um, looking at the quantity of food that I ate and being disgusted in myself and that it's so much easier for, for me to, uh, to hate me or to, again, there's the word hate versus disgust, but for me to have my stomach turn over the idea of something than it is for other people. Like with other people, I'm much more understanding. I don't hold anybody else in my life, um, fictional or non-fictional, uh, to the standards that I do. And I don't, I mean, I guess it could be self-preservation. You know, society definitely holds value to a certain type of woman. Um, and it's changing, you know, but um, I'm 38. So the majority of my life has been very, um, it, it's really been pushed on me what I'm supposed to look like. Um, and so physical disgust is probably like the first one that comes to mind. And then when Christy, you were talking about, um, like us sexual predators um like my feelings are like you know they're so mentally sick you know but if i think of the action then i understand like that turns my stomach like cruelty to animals um really makes me disgusted but the list of questions you know i'm like yeah i would i would have eaten that soup i'm like i don't know if that's my food addiction talking but yeah i would have done that <laughs> that's the one i would do too right <laughs> i'm like somebody like clearing their throat like I might not it might get my attention I might not like it you know but I'd probably just go get them a tissue you know I mean like um I feel like I'm a, like I have a really big heart and more of like I, I lean towards understanding more than um judgment or disgust or anything like that and I'm grateful and again Christy it's because what you said you know it's like I am in recovery I've been in recovery since I was 14 years old and I'm uh 38 um and so I feel like I, maybe my mind processes are different, you know, because of the amount of work that I've put in into, uh, to reframing things and to, um, having a lot of compassion for where people are and where they're coming from. Um, but the longer I think about this and the more people that are talking about it, I definitely see more areas. Like I'm just thinking of, you know, uh, the videos that try to get people to be vegetarian, like those are disgusting um which is the impact right that is their desired effect is to uh to have people not eat meat um and so i'm definitely relating more and more to this as the conversation continues and so thank you 
Mm, yes. And so, and the reason why I wanted to cover it again was because, first of all, I, I see some people have their hands up and the app is being really glitchy. Deanna, I don't know if you can try to bring them up. Um, I've tried to, to bring you up, sir, and it's not working every time I hit it. So uh, we'll, we'll keep trying. It, the reason why we wanted to, I wanted to review discuss is because it moves into the dehumanization process, which is not something that's going to be fun to talk about. And and I and I really want to get to hate and self righteousness. That's that's a sentence, isn't it? <laughs> but I think that you know, in recovery, the word hate and self righteous are, are maybe more applicable. But I definitely want to talk about the the role of disgust in dehumanization because disgust is the way. And Kathy, you brought this up. Disgust is the way when we can feel disgusted with a group of people. It helps us override our natural laws of hurting other people, right? It's um, what what they what she talks about the the response of dehumanization is when we use conflict. It's it's a conflicting motive in all of us, and we we all have places in history that we've I think everyone's been um, educated on where we've seen many people be you know slaughtered based on the fact that they they were a certain religion we've seen hate crimes show up because of it and every one of us every human it is uh, a natural place not to want to do harm for other people so the language around disgust is used in order to dehumanize a group of people dehumanize a person and it's, you know, it's the whole idea of making the enemy, you know, seem less than human and hence not worthy of human treatment. And they call it, so de to dehumanize, they call it the common enemy, um, you know, the, the creating a common enemy, enemy. They create a these people are bad, these people are rats. We saw that used in the slang during the Holocaust. And you can look at history and see it over and over again. So there is a process when uh, people are slaughtered and we have these genocide in which we make them less than human and or the person does we become accepting of violations against human nature human spirits and uh, carefree about doing harm to these people because we now have taken away their humanness and i think that's important to know um, as we're looking at some of the duress that's in our world and some of the things that are happening um, even in in my country some of the hate that is coming out. Um, we talked about this last uh, last room uh, about the fact that that there are uh, there's a political division in the United States that is on par with prior to the Civil War, which of course you know had to do with slavery, and that right now we're in the same place. Uh, of division uh, as the Israeli and the Palestine conflict is. And I thought it was important, even though it's not pleasant, to talk about it. Because if we don't call out dangerous language, it can easily slide into that. And um, 
So successful dehumanization causes a moral exclusion. Groups are targeted based on their identity, gender, ideology, skin color, religion, ethnicity, age, and are depicted as less than human. They are depicted as evil. And um, I'd just love if anybody wants to join in. Julie, I know you just came up. Would you like to speak? Sure. Thanks, Christina. Um, I was just, when thinking about disgust, um, for me personally, one of the things that comes up is, um, I have talked about before, um, my oldest brother that I was, have been very close with through my life is an addict. And in the last probably like six or seven years has started to use meth as his drug of choice. And um, you know, when I talk to friends or even like other family members of more extended family, not, not my, not my close family, um, I can see the disgust that people, um, feel when you talk about that drug. Um, and I know that it comes from a lot of the behaviors and a lot of the, um, criminal activity and just a lot of the lifestyle that comes along with that particular addiction but it just is it's really hard because there's a part of me that feels that too and i can't deny it even though um this is my one of the people that i love very most in my life you know and people try to tell me things like oh well he's not your brother anymore he's you know he's not that person and i really have this strong inclination to want to protect me from hearing that and to protect people from thinking that about him because he's so much more than that to me. Um, so it's really hard to see that in people's eyes, even when their, their words may say something different and they may, you know, um, tell me how sorry they are or, what, or whatever it is that they're saying to me to convey empathy or, or other things. I can see a lot of that disgust. Um, and, you know, it's hard for me to know that I have some of that too. But then there are also times where his, you know, because of the disease and, and the addiction and the behavior, he tries to manipulate me a lot. And that produces disgust in me. And um, in a way, that that reaction keeps me from being, from being, you know, the victim of that, I guess, or like falling into that pattern with him is that I, the manipulation gives me a bit of disgust because I can see it for what it is. And while, you know, I love him immensely and want him to be sober and stop hurting himself and be free from his addiction, um, it's, um, you know, I heard a lot of people saying that they just feel empathy for people and I have a tremendous amount of empathy um, for him and I try not to have it be sympathy, but it's, it's complicated. And uh, I guess that's just what's in my mind right now. It's just more complicated than one thing or another. So I'm, I'm finished. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for coming up because you're, you're so right, and it hasn't been shared before about how people take the
the disease of addiction and will feel that feeling, you know, um, about certain types of drug uses. And it's easily bringing this person into, you know, that people are disgusted by it because they don't understand it or are shocked. And, uh, you know, just even the statement, well, that's not your brother is a dehumanizing statement. Um, and for those of us who are recovering from, uh, you know, chemical addiction, I think we can all feel that way, um, like Haven so eloquently spoke where we are disgusted with ourselves. So that, thank you so much. Um, I, I wonder if anybody has anything to add to the dehumanization, um, the, the language around dehumanization. You know, I have to say I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Um, as uncomfortable as I am with the discourse that's going on in this country, and I feel that feeling when people start, you know, having a common enemy culture um, and see it, you know, I think that speaks more to hatred than to dehumanization. But, you know, I, I just want to make sure that I open up the floor around the, the term dehumanization before we move on to hatred. Oh, Kathy, go ahead. Oh, ahead. sorry, Deanna. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, we we have a, a very similar um, environment uh, atmosphere in the UK at the moment. Um, we have a, uh, some horrible policies regarding legitimate refugees. Um, we're exporting them to Rwanda, believe it or not, and that there's no justification for that. That comes purely from a place of hate and disgust at somebody wanting to start a new life or flee from conflict and um it's it's yeah there's there's a there's a rift in society here at the moment be between them that think we're full and them that um no we're not um, <laughs> um and when people are i get disgusted at, at, at some of the views that i hear at the moment but they're probably disgusted with me um, but once you reach that point um uh, reconciliation is difficult so yeah it's it's permeating i think i think disgust for other groups is is clearly very deliberate it's it's driven by by someone else it's manipulated like you say it goes against human nature um and that in itself is is worthy of disgust but you have to be careful where you point it so that's my little rant over. I just want to say that everything you guys are saying is just awesome. I mean, it's not awesome. It's just so true. And I really appreciate the shedding light on um, dehumanizing people in drug addiction and homelessness and refugees. I didn't really have that on my radar when we when I started reading this. And I live outside of Seattle where we have a lot of all of those things. And um, it really, it's, it's really important to me that, that when we go out into our communities that we see humans and that when we see people on the side, I mean, I, I see some crazy things in Seattle, people using the restroom on the side of a building of a restaurant. And it, it makes it's like oh that's disgusting but then i i try to find it in my heart that well you know there's more to that story there's more to that act that is happening and yeah that's just where i'm at right now is just thinking like reminding myself 
to remember that people are part of our communities. And whether you'd like to see that or not, it's still true. And to treat people with decency. And, you know, we are all just moments away from everything shifting in our lives all the time. So that could be us in those situations. And so I just, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that stuff. It really has my heart turned into a different area right now, which is good. So thanks. When I think one of the purposes of having this conversation, reading this book, probably one of the things that was on Judge Brene Brown's heart was to call out the language. And, um, you know, she says as she wraps up the discussion around dehumanization that it is up to us to call out dangerous language. And disgust is the gateway to dehumanization. And when we start hearing things, um, just like you said, Deanna, about you know, well, they're they're not who they used to be, or they're not human, or they're whatever. That we also again remember that they are human, and dehumanization is the way that that hate crimes are are um, are are. That it's one of the beginnings, right? It's one of the root causes. They figure it out, and no, but I mean, I personally don't like to look at myself in that way. But I'm grateful to have this book and grateful to have this conversation. And, um, and what I take away from this is that it's up to me to call out language and say, wait a minute, that person is a human. Haven? Yes. Um, again, I was like, I don't relate to this at all. Um, and I don't know if I do um, as far as like dehumanizing other people. Um, I feel like I'm very good at uh, relating and seeing other sides of the story. But the hate crimes that I'm thinking of, you know, it's like my husband is one of the most kind, compassionate, loving people I've ever met. Yet, he says like things about um, what's going on in the society, right? Is like, I just want to kill them and gut them. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like thinking that it's all on like one person, you know, and uh, we're on different sides of a political spectrum, you know, but he sends me hate articles, like confirming the way he believes all day long. And, um, and it's painful uh, to be a part of it. And I, this is a sensitive topic, but um, I relate. It's what's coming up for me, right, is um, going back through my own sexual history and thinking of like, how often was it, was I actually a willing participant versus being the disgusting drunk at the bar that didn't deserve to have any um, rights, right? Because I was so like disgustingly drunk, it was okay for guys to take advantage of me. And I know that that is, I, I hear from women in my 12-step uh, programs, like, well, she shouldn't have put herself in that position, you know? And it's like the disgust of being so out of control that I deserve all of my consequences. And I've seen it from cops with me, like, cause my car was stolen cause I left the keys at the bar. Uh, and it's just um, that this uh, disgust leads to uh, what is the word like um approval of uh mistreating people and so uh it's yeah it's a uh it's scary it's scary to actually like open my eyes and see how it's happening and not just on the obvious scales right but on um on a lot of different areas thank you uh, so good so good i'm really glad um 
I feel <laughs> we're doing our part by talking about it. I want to talk about hate. I don't want to talk about it, but I think it's important to talk about it. And um, she opens this this emotion up with why we hate. Hatred will always motivate people for destructive actions. Hatred is a combination of several other negative emotions, anger, repulsion, disgust, contempt, and fear. We feel hate toward individuals or groups who are intentionally malicious and unlikely to change. This is what she's saying that most of us feel hate toward them. We can develop hatred for people we don't know simply because they are affiliated to the ideology that doesn't align with our beliefs. And what this what this ends up being is that research shows that why people are able to hate is there's a lack of direct contact contact to them that can actually strengthen the hate so the more that we other people by being disgusted by them the more that we other people by you know what we talked about asymmetrical um, aversion the easier it is for them to hate and hate is interestingly enough fueled by our own need for connection it is that common enemy intimacy hate moves us from a from place to place it's a current and it needs to continue to travel and those currents are provided by cynical leaders cynical authority who capitalizes on people's insecurity to bolster the, their own power so it's really manipulation um and and i think that's kind of interesting to see with the political climate and everything that's happening in the world that many of us are being manipulated into hatred like if we really knew somebody and knew something about them they would be a lot harder to hate and I want to open it up because I think that this is uh, you know the goal of hate is not simply to hurt but it is to ultimately eliminate or destroy the other person either mentally through humiliation actually Deanna do you know do you have that quote close by the goal of hate is not to merely hurt do you see that in your reading? Maybe. It says the goal of hate is not merely to hurt, but to ultimately eliminate. Oh, yeah. Would you um, read that? Because I think it's so powerful. I'm not sure if I have it. Oh, One okay. Second. I'll try to read my handwriting. So this is from the research um, of social scientists. And what they, they share is the goal of hate is not merely to hurt but it is ultimately to eliminate or destroy the target, either mentally through humiliation, through um, treasuring the feelings of revenge, socially by excluding or ignoring, physically by uh, either <clears throat> killing toward torture, letting the wrongdoers suffer. And when you think about that, that hate isn't just a simple word oh i don't like that person it actually is that we we want to more than just even hurt them we want to ultimately eliminate them and i thought about i i was raised that you don't use the word hate you know and now that i've kind of really pulling it apart i realize wow that's very dangerous and i'd love to hear what you have to say deanna well i found it as you're reading it read it again because i butchered um, it Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you did a fantastic job, but I will read it again. The goal 
uh, I found the most devastating explained that the goal of hate is not merely to hurt, but to ultimately eliminate or destroy the target, either mentally, humiliating, treasuring feelings of revenge, socially, excluding or ignoring, or physically, killing, torturing, which may be accompanied by the goal to let the wrongdoers suffer. You know, the end part right there, the goal is to let the wrongdoers suffer. It's like, it's not enough that they, what they're doing and what you're disgusted by and what you hate that they're doing be just out of your vision. Like if, you know, out of sight, out of mind, this is saying like, I, I need you to suffer. I want to feel, I, I don't even know what a person would want to feel to wish that upon another person. I personally just don't have this in my heart. Um, it's not that I'm saying hate doesn't exist. It absolutely does. But I, I've, been, I've been wronged. I have been so wronged in my life by people that wanted to hurt me. They, they planned to hurt me, and they did. And even though I have all this pain and sadness inside of me from these things, I think to myself, and maybe it's because of all the self-help books I read when I was a little kid, way too young to be reading them. I think to myself, well, that, that person did that to me because of something that happened to them. Or that person said that because that's what they've learned. That's what they know. And then there's, that's why I think I got into helping people is because I can see that hurt people hate, honestly. And that's not the, the phrase that is used that she uses, but that's that's kind of how I see it. And so I personally don't want any anybody else to suffer because they think something differently of me or even because they've done something really, really bad in their life. I I work at a juvenile, I volunteer in a juvenile detention center, and I do work with children that have done some very, very bad things. And I would not be able to volunteer there the way they do if I felt that what they did made them horrible people and they deserved to suffer for the crimes they committed. I think that is a special place that I get to be. And I don't know how, I don't know how I do this, but it is, I don't want the people that, I think I'm learning this. I'm learning by being in that environment that I don't want people to suffer so that they can learn their lessons. And now I'm like going on a tangent because I'm thinking of that. But um, yeah, I liked I, that. Those are my thoughts on that. I like, I like that. I don't want people to suffer because I want them to learn their lessons. And uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's a very casually used word, hate. Um, but I think that if it, if, if it's truly the only word we can use, then there are definite, definitely healing that needs to happen around it. Um, uh, I, she goes on to explain, hate crimes are meant to terrorize so that fear is embedded so deeply that the heart of the community becomes, that, that in the heart of the community that has experienced a hate crime, that fear becomes a crushing way of life for everyone. Um, it all, she also goes on to explain that hate is very hard to combat hate, but any mechanism, like what can, what can we do to combat hate in our world? Any mechanism that we can do to understand things from the other person's point of view, 
love, critical thinking, wisdom, engagement with others who are in the hate, uh, in the hated group, at least makes hate less likely. It's hard to hate people up close when you know they are not so different than you. Julie, do you have anything you want to share about that? Okay. I have something that was part of the passage that you just read. Um, well, it was before it, but I, I read in here somewhere that it said hate is fueled by our need for connection. And I thought that that was really interesting in everything that you're talking about, especially like in our society. And I've been, I've been dealing a lot of with this the past couple weeks. Um, I have two younger sisters and I want to feel connected to them. I love them and I want to feel connected to them. I am, I am realizing that, um, we are not as connected as we, as I want us to be, not because there's any hate involved, but because we have very different opinions on politics and uh, life issues. That, and they're young; they're they're 24 and 21. But I've noticed, I've heard some things come out of their mouths that I don't ever say anything because I don't know how to process it yet. They're just, they're wonderful, wonderful people. But I know that having the father that we have, um, language that he uses filters into their minds and it can come out very, it sounds very hateful. And I feel that um, it's a slippery slope because we do want to be connected to people. And so we can, I can, I can, I'm guilty of this too. Um, fall into agreeing with people because we want to feel connected. That camaraderie is nice. And agreeing with somebody about something that's based around hate is not good, is not a good way to connect with people. And yeah, so I, I like the thought of hate is fueled by our need for connection and to connect in different ways and to find different ways to connect than through hating something yeah. and i do want to say too real quick that um i say real quick but i'm rambling <laughs> that i've noticed this as well with my husband um so haven i think already bounced but that joking around um can be uh it can lead to real real problems and so our language can, our language of just joking around. I know in our society, there's so much music and funny, funny, funny shows that are great to laugh at, but they can bring up, they can turn feelings, just funny feelings into feelings of hate uh, pretty easily without us even noticing because our brains are just so fickle. So yeah, I'm loving, I'm loving this conversation today. So thanks, Christina. It's not fun, right, to think about, but it's important. And I want to move on to self-righteous because I, I bet some people may want to talk about it. And, and the way that she describes self-righteousness really um, kind of, <laughs> kind of, she relates it right back to recovery. And I love it. She says, uh, 
this the quote that she opens up with self-righteous screams judgment against others to hide from the noise of the skeletons in their own closets Ooh, that's the that's the opening quote around self-righteousness and the the way she opens it up is is that she says that you know 25 years ago she heard somebody share about their self-righteousness in um in aa and they described it you know i like you know when i get into a self-righteous mode it's like a pig rolling around and shit. and she didn't know exactly what that meant but she knew she felt it in her bones that she did it too and it was really quite funny they the researchers that definite that define it says conviction that one's beliefs and behaviors are the most correct people who exhibit self-righteousness see things in black and white and if that's not recovery you know when we first walk into recovery i don't know what is they close they're close-minded to the inflexibility of ambiguity and she uses this term that i have heard for many many years in 12-step rooms called terminal uniqueness um, it, and what that means is that my pain my the way i drink the way my life is is i'm terminally unique i'm not at all like your drinking story there's a reason why i'm supposed to be able to drink and I th it made me laugh because as you've been around for a while, you start to see the people who are able to get sobriety. If you participate in a 12-step group, you see the path, you know the path, and you can see that terminal uniqueness where they believe that doesn't apply to me. You know, I know better about my own life. That's a phrase that gets described about that person. And I know it, I've heard it before around me, especially in early sobriety. And she goes on to explain that self-righteous is different than righteousness. Self-righteous is when we feel morally superior and are trying to convince ourselves and others that we are doing the right thing. And one of the uh, one of the ways that we do is by having moral outrage response to injustice. Um, you know, that's okay. No, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's okay. It's not self-righteousness is not having moral outrage response to something of injustice. That can be righteous anger. And if it's used against justice, you know, or injustice, moral outrage is self-enhancing and self-righteous anger. So when we are just morally outraged and it isn't about an injustice that we're seeing we are actually displaying terminal uniqueness we're the exception i think i'm better than anyone else and the problem with that is that it slips right into if i'm better than anyone else then i can be worse than anybody else and letting go of i am better than slowly releases our need to be worthless at the same time. We're less focused on moral outrage and we're doing the next indicated step. And I think this is so important for people who are in recovery because I know from my own experience uh, and I've heard it over and over and over again in the rooms, you know, I, I am an egomaniac with an inferiority complex and it speaks to being one of many or being right-sized i'm not better than anybody but i'm not worse than anybody and i love the way she explains it because i know people who live in self-righteousness uh, i know i was one of them even into years of recovery and uh, 
I love that she put self-righteousness in, into the form of terminally unique because for me, that's easier to process. When I feel like I'm terminally unique, I may be a little bit into self-righteousness. What did you think, Deanna? I, I liked this one. I liked thinking of self-righteousness because I like to think that I'm not self-righteous ever, which <laughs> is not true. <laughs> And it's like, I, the thought, like the thought is like, of course, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. Like I, I truly genuinely don't think I'm better than anybody else. But what happens is my brain gets a hold of me during moments, during conversations that I might not stop and think about it very well. And so then I do, I have been self-righteous the last week. I have been, I, I, I I wrote it down in my gratitude book. I was doing a gratitude journal and I could recognize that I'm reading the story and I'm judging the story. I'm judging the writer. And I'm like what why am I doing this? This is not this is not who I want to be. And I don't I had to I'm still in working this out of why I'm feeling this way this week. Like what is going on in my life that's making me I don't want to say look, I'm not looking down on people. I'm catching myself having thoughts that are not in alignment with, with righteousness. I don't want to be self-righteous. So I'm really, really glad that this was a topic of discussion. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm not self-righteous, but I have self-righteous moments and thoughts that I need to recognize and stop and put myself into perspective and know that I'm not terminally unique. I'm, I'm magical. I am unique, but, but yeah, so I'm just, I'm just going on now because I'm thinking how self-righteous I have been. <laughs> <laughs> you, Julie, I want to make sure if you want to weigh in that you have the opportunity to, it's up to you. Okay. I just, um, I love, I know uh, we have just a couple minutes left and I love it. You know, if you think you're not self-righteous, that might also be self-righteousness <laughs> playing. And so, you know, I really loved uh, and wanted to bring it home to that terminally unique. Um, and I, for me, it's anytime that I think I would never do it that way. Oh my God, what are they thinking? That's not the way I would do it. You know, I'm better. I know what I'm doing. And I think it's so dangerous for people who are in the, in recovery, you know, to, to it's so good to have this kind of language around it so that we can go, okay, wait a minute. If I'm thinking I would never do something somebody else is doing without really truly knowing if that's true, because I don't know the circumstances of why this person is doing it, then I'm definitely slipping into self-righteousness. And I, I think it's so important that we self-guard so that we don't have that slippery, slippery slope of I am better than you and now I am worse than you. Because being right-sized, being one of many, being in the middle of the herd is what protects my sobriety and keeps me on the road of recovery. And, you know, that even goes to the moments when I am feeling self-righteous. You know, I have a sponsor, very, very wise woman, you know, she's 
20 years so more sober than me, maybe even possibly 30, and I'm at 25, and she will say, I'm not much, but I'm all I ever think about, and then kiss herself on her hand and just be <laughs> kind to herself. And it's just, it speaks to, even though these are really ugly, hard emotions to discuss and safeguard, the whole point of being in recovery and having the support is that we do learn to love ourselves more and therefore love others more and be part of the group. So I just am grateful to be finished with some of those hard emotions, but also kind of wanting to end the room in a very self-loving way, which is every person in this world is self-righteous at one moment. Um, and it's important to know the language of dehumanization so that when we see it, we call it out. It is important to understand what, when we're feeling disgusted, what is that all about? And, you know, we, we spoke about several other next, uh, last week, and we will continue next week with the last chapter of the book. So we've really got about three more rooms, three more shows, whatever you want to call it, on it. But it's been such a beautiful experience, and I hope everybody's enjoyed it. Um, thank you. I think many of the people who got to speak had to leave, but thank you very much for speaking and sharing, and what a beautiful hour. Deanna, as always, thank you for your service. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.